Hello, and welcome to The Wonders I've Seen, where there's no such thing as weird or normal. There's just different. I'm your host, Tanagra, and today we'll be discussing Whitney Houston Presents Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, the 1997 classic. A TV movie of bright sets, colorblind casting, lively dance numbers, and a setting of simply somewhere magical, where the impossible is possible. So grab your liquid nourishment, sit back, and enjoy the wonders. I have never desired your good opinion. People fear what they do not understand. I have a headache, a badge, and a gun. Power is yours. Behave. I was just trying to start a conversation. And share the wonders I see. My liquid nourishment for the day is spiced oat milk. I know, I'm keeping it pretty simple this evening. All right, let's get into it. So following the successful adaptation of the stage musical Gypsy into the 1993 television version, Whitney Houston went to the same producers, Zaydan and Marone, and asked to make Cinderella. Uh, originally, it was for CBS, and Whitney Houston was supposed to be Cinderella. It took a couple of years to get it going, and by the time it was greenlit by ABC um, on Disney, Whitney uh, Houston had, was considered aged out of the role. And so rather than be Cinderella, she became the godmother. And as the executive producer, she also got to choose who was her Cinderella. She chose Brandy. At the time, this choice was a bit controversial. Rodgers and Hammerstein has had three film adaptations, the first starting with um, Julie Andrews. And it's known for being a show that brings Broadway talent to the television. Brandy was known as a young teenage pop star with a enjoyable voice to listen to, but a light voice, not very strong. And so the idea of her taking on a Broadway role was looked at skeptically. But nevertheless, uh, Whitney Houston chose her and people deferred to Whitney Houston. Uh, at first, also, the idea of there being a black Cinderella was sort of controversial. People were wondering, like, what was this going to mean? How is this going to play out? But rather than let that stop them and that put some sort of hindrance on what they could do, um, the producers and Whitney Houston were like, no, let's just go all the way. Let's make this truly a fairy tale for everybody. And thus we have probably the first true example, I would say the first true example of colorblind casting um, in Hollywood. Now, at this moment, I want to stop and talk about the article about colorblind casting on Wikipedia. Um, whoever put in those examples, you're wrong. They're all wrong because colorblind casting is casting a person for a role regardless of their race or ethnicity. And that means in every role. So that's why in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella 1997, you have a Black American woman and a white American male who biologically, according to the story, have a Filipino American son. That's what actual colorblind casting is. When you're simply taking a character and you're changing their race or ethnicity, uh, that's not colorblind casting if the thought process is, oh, well, now that this child is going to be Black, well, now they have to have Black parents, which one, that's not true in the real world. But two, it definitely isn't true when you're trying to do actual colorblind casting. 
So a lot of the examples on Wikipedia are talking about changing the race or ethnicity of a character. Um, that's not the same thing. Probably the m most modern example of colorblind casting after Cinderella, 1997, uh, would be Charlie's Angels. Um, and you see it in the casting of Lucy Liu's parents. I believe it's in the third film. Uh, there's also been some talk about David Cofferfield, but I have yet to see it. And I'm not sure if it's colorblind casting so much as diverse and inclusive casting. I know Dev Patel was cast colorblind because the, um, the director simply said he wanted somebody who had a certain personality and then they cast around them. Um, so I'm not quite sure if that applies to the rest of the show, but there is a difference between colorblind casting and between changing the race or ethnicity of somebody and between adapting something to a different culture, ethnicity, country, etc. Today, we're talking about colorblind casting. Okay, so just to make that difference, because I feel sometimes people get them confused and they're all very different and it matters because the application, the interpretation, and also the implications of what they mean and the storytelling are different. So, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, y'all. <laughs> so, um, Whitney Houston's Roger and Hanstein's Cinderella is pure colorblind casting. Um, while people were worried that Brandy wouldn't be able to carry her weight because she wasn't a Broadway star, everybody else was cast based on their Broadway experience at, at the time. Um, one reason why the colorblind casting works so well is because it's done in every part of the show. Um, because they decided to cast the entire uh, show in that way, that means everybody from the main cast to the supporting cast to the background actors is completely diverse. And when you're watching the first musical number, uh, The Princess Having a Ball, I won't try and sing it right now, as you can tell, my voice wouldn't be able to carry anyway, or you wouldn't want to hear it, you know, whichever one. Um, as you have even the different there, uh, Jason Alexander's character is going around and going to all the different sort of vendors that he needs to go to in order to get ready for a ball. So the, the bread maker, the wine maker, the cheese maker, the butcher, the, you know, the baker, ev everybody. And each of those professions, there's a, a dancing group that's carrying food to the castle for the ball. And even in those little dancing groups, they're diverse. So you have a um, a group of of winemakers. Well, they're they're not all white. There's people of every ethnicity there. You have people who are the bread makers carrying carrying the bread to the to the castle. Everybody is a different diversity there. There's the I, I guess there's supposed to be milkmaids. I'm not I'm not sure. But there's just so much diversity just in the background characters. Even when it comes to the pairings. Um, something that you'll see a lot when they're like, oh, diversity, integration. And then they put like the white person always dances with the white person. The black person always dances with the black person. The Asian person always dances with the Asian person. Like they're still partnering people up by their ethnicity. And this, they were like, yeah, no, like, <laughs> like, no, literally like our main couple is like, is interracial. Like, I think we can have our background dancers do the same thing. And you can tell it's an act of choice to do it, but it adds 
to the vibrancy of the film. It adds to the fact that this is a fairy tale, a fantasy. Um, we, we don't know where this is supposed to take place. There's never a location. It's just a magical kingdom somewhere. And there's a king, a queen, and their son, and a court, and a village. And like, that's all we need. And if you're making a fantasy, one thing you have to understand, and I think that sometimes people forget, um, and because it's maybe not their lived reality or because they're so used to not seeing themselves, is that a fantasy is just that, it's a fantasy. And if you're trying to be inclusive, it should be a fantasy for everyone. So you have to remember and force yourself to deal with the fact that racism um, is something that is an inherent in every single aspect of our society, um, especially in the United States. And so when you're talking about creating a fantasy, that fantasy, if you want it to be a real fantasy that everyone can enjoy, you have to take the race out of it. You have to take the location out of it. Jason Alexander's character is there for comic, le comic relief. And he does some made up accent, but it adds to the idea that this is someplace that we, we don't know. Like it's not even trying to be some something that's pseudo-European, not in the color scheme, not in the cut of the clothes, um, not in the way the castle, castle looks, nothing. You're like, okay, dresses and aprons. And then, but then there's like glitter and, and beading and it, it's from everywhere and therefore it looks like nowhere. And in all honesty, that's the point. It's not supposed to. It's supposed to be fantastical. Um, and the film captures that on every single level, whether you're talking about casting, whether you're talking about the clothes, whether, I mean, I think the maybe the most noticeable thing is we get a waltz and you're like, ooh, there's a waltz. And then after that, you're just like dancing. Ooh, it's pretty. Like, it works so well. And in doing that, it fully felt, excuse me, fully sells the fantasy of Cinderella. Uh, now, one of my favorite things I like about this adaptation is that Cinderella is pretty straightforward. Brandy is fairly soft-spoken, um, at, at least at this time she was. Um, she was like 16, 15, and they're like, oh, hey, carry this, carry this television movie for us, by the way. So she's fairly soft-spoken. She just has a softer tenor of her voice. Um, but she still is very outspoken and forthright when she first meets the prince. So the prince likes to run around the town um, incognito, not wearing his royal robes, and they run into each other. It's during um, the first opening scene, and the their first song is you duet, but they're singing around each other. It's lovely. I love this entire film, if you can't tell. And he, uh, um, oh, what is it? A cart goes by, and she's carrying all of this shopping stuff from her stepmom and her two stepsisters. And she drops it and he runs for it to help her pick it up. And they notice each other. They have the moment, the meet cute, the eyes meet, the sparks fly. And then she's like, uh, no, I have stuff to do. And she gets up and she starts walking away and he follows her. And she's like, well, I don't really know if I want to talk to you. I don't know you. Like, yeah, she like thinks he's cute, but she's also weary of him and cautious. And I love the fact that she doesn't just like fall over him. She's like, okay, no, no, thanks. 
for helping me pick up stuff, but I, I got other things to do. And so he like walks after her and it's not like a stalker. He walks after her. It's more just, a, oh, well, you're walking that way. Well, I'll walk that way with you. And they have this little exchange that it's short, but it's so sweet and it's magical. And it shows their personalities, personalities and like how they both are feeling isolated and alone in their lives and wanting a change. And they immediately recognize that in each other. And then, you know, they're torn, they're torn apart. Um, because her stepmom and her stepsisters come out and she has to race after them. They're like, why are you talking to that strange man? And of course, then the carriage uh, shows up to take him (laughs) from the village back to his castle in the sky. But that sets a really lovely tone for the fairy tale that just because she's Cinderella, just because she's um, our princess, she doesn't really have to be passive. At the time, uh, it was actually seen that the producers were taking a untraditional feminist approach with Cinderella, which makes me laugh that that was considered like a feminist Cinderella. But I sort of can see it now because if you've seen the last adaptation of Cinderella um, that came out, the last live adaptation excuse me, live action adaptation of Cinderella, you will notice that there's a lot of her just like, I'll be quiet and be happy. Or um, how the step family is a lot harsher to her and the way they treat her and how she's passive and she turns the other cheek and she accepts it and things like that versus Brandy Cinderella doesn't do that. And in all honesty, I'm not sure if it's because they didn't want to show a black woman going through that, particularly a young, a young black girl going through that. Um, or if the producers just were like, Cinderella doesn't need to be that passive. Um, she can be treated poorly, but also recognize that she's treated poorly and not think that the response is turn, turn the other cheek. But it's an excellent like twist of Cinderella um, and I guess, once again, in retrospect, I can see why people thought it was feminist, because in some ways it even is now. If you get the chance, watch the latest live action one, which is absolutely gorgeous, by the way. Don't get me wrong. It's gorgeous. And she and the prince talk and everything. But Cinderella's response to her treatment by her stepmother and her stepsisters is very passive and accepting versus Brandy Cinderella is more is more. I have my own ideas. I'll do these things for you, you know, because at one time you were good to me, but I can't do them anymore. And I reached a point and I'm leaving. Um, and so she is a bit more active and a bit more independent. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I watched this film in 19, 1997 when it came out and it's 2021. I own it on DVD. I bought it on DVD for my nieces and my nephew. Um, I, I think that it's a, a great film to just show like what, what a fairy tale truly can be. And I, I know it sounds corny, but to say what is, is possible, um, I, I can't help it. It just, look, it's right there. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that you've gotten a chance to watch this. If you don't have Disney, Disney plus it's worth buying it on DVD you will watch it over and over again. The music is so catchy. 
visibly, it's just so lovely. It's so bright. The costuming is wonderful. There's a passion and sincerity to the entire cast, whether you're talking speaking roles, leads, supporting, background, the, the dancers, like there's just a sincerity and a vivacity and a passion to it that comes through um, on the screen. And they sort of, uh, they recently did a reunion and they all talked about it with the entire lead cast and they sort of talked about like that, that feeling and you can see it uh, very, very much so. Um, so yeah, I hope you go watch this magical film, uh, escape from our horrid reality for just a little bit, like let yourself enjoy something, you know, let yourself look at, Oh, a, a better world where if you wish for something to change, it happens. If you wish for money and a prince, you know, they come along. Uh, if you wish for rulers who treat their people well, um, they exist. And you, if you wish for a world without racism, um, it's possible. So if you're interested in continuing the conversation, you can find me on Twitter at TanagraGGNOC. That's at T-A-N-A-G-R-A-G-G-N-O-C. For all you Android users, you can find us on Anchor and Radio Public. And for all you iThings users, you can listen in on iTunes and Overcast. You can also listen to us as you watch a lovely slideshow on YouTube. So leave us a message on some platform. Let me know what's your favorite song. Um, <laughs> let me know your thoughts on this Cinderella, maybe even in comparison to the live adaptation one. Uh, even suggest a movie. If you can find another one that you think is has done colorblind casting well, I'd love to hear. All right. Thanks for joining. Make choices and don't spell it up. <laughs>